name is Chris Pate. If you're new with us, I'm the lead pastor here and very excited to continue where we started last week. If you weren't here with us or maybe it's your first Sunday here, we started a series called The Gospel And, where we're hitting the gospel first, but then also some cultural topics and things going on uh, to make sense of how the gospel speaks into these things. And we started last week, part one. If you didn't uh, get it or you, you, it's your first time here, definitely encourage you to go back. Everything's on YouTube, on our website. You can check it out there, kind of hear what's going on, what we're doing and what we're about. But we started this gospel and with the gospel and mental health. And we want to take the stigma out of mental health and see how the scriptures and the gospel really instruct us with this concept of mental health that so many people today struggle with. And it's something we want to talk about. Not only that, next week we're going to start uh, getting some really hardcore things in the gospel and sexuality. We're going to do two parts from that. We'll do the gospel and race the next two weeks uh, with another panel with our elders. And if you don't know our staff and elders, we have about nine nations just from our staff and elders represented in this church. So we get a great opportunity to talk about different racial struggles and things that go on, but with the gospel lens. And then the same thing, we're going to talk about the gospel and war coming up. But today we're in part two the gospel and mental health. And behind me, I'm going to introduce them in one second, are our panelists today, which uh, we'll let you know about, because we're going to be doing this panel. Again, if you're new, we like to do these every once in a while, just to have a Sunday to be able to answer questions, talk, and hear from some experts in their field, people that have a lot of experience, uh, as well as education in this field, to help instruct you and give you some things. And the best way we do it, we started last week, is this QR code right here where you can get your phone out. We're at church. It's okay. You can get Get your phone out, right? As long as you don't Instagram or, you know, TikTok dance in front of me, that's fine. Right now, you can get your phone out in church, get that QR code. And I really would ask everybody, even if you're like, I'm not going to answer a question, because here's the great thing about the website it takes you to. It's a website called Slido. And on Slido, you can see all of the questions. They're all anonymous. So we're not seeing your email address, even a clever name, nothing. It's all anonymous, so you can ask any question. But also, if everyone goes on there, as you're reading through them, you might see a question that you go, oh, I like that one. If you like it, it will get to the top, and we're going to answer the top ones first, okay? Because we would be here literally all day if we answered all of them, but it helps us kind of discern which ones are most needed in the room, as well as our online community, you can uh, be a part as well. So let me tell you some things as well. We're not going to get to everything today, but we have this great opportunity, what we do in our church. It's called Wrap Sessions, and that's coming up. You, you saw it on the video this Friday at 7 p.m., and we, will, we won't have any chairs in, this, in the sanctuary. We will have all tables with chairs, candy, and, and eateries, and water, and we will sit around tables in our group, and we do these things regularly called Wrap Sessions, where being such a diverse church for people all over the world, we get to come in and say, we want you to have dialogue about some of these topics. We want to be a safe place as a church to be able to talk about these things without feeling the stigma or anybody just railing on you because we need to be a people, especially as believers, that listen even more than we talk a lot of times so that we can understand and then bring something that is helpful. So this is part of what we do. We want to invite you to come out, bring a friend, and we'll be talking more about mental health and talk through some of these questions. We are starting uh, or conclude, concluding the gospel and mental health today with this panel. Hopefully you've been able to get on 
Slido and maybe ask some questions and we'll look to that. But we're, we're going to tell you a little bit about our panelists first. Before I dive into that, this series is called The Gospel And. And we want to be explicit because there's a lot of implicit ideas of what the gospel is. Some people think just the gospel and they think music. It's just music. It's just singing. Or the gospel is church in general or the Bible. And, and although those contain elements of the gospel, we want to be very explicit about what we mean when we say the gospel. I think this is important. And so as we start, and we're going to talk through mental health, Let's define first the gospel, and then we'll dive into mental health. Last week, I ended with this, but I want to start today. And I'm not going to preach on this, I promise. I'm just going to read it and be, this is explicit. The gospel is the good news. That's what gospel means, good news, that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place three days later. He rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to all who repent and believe this gospel. Last week we said it's good news, not good advice. It's something you do believe, but it's not just something that came down from the clouds. This was a historic event. And there's apologetics and defense of this behind a historically accurate event that happened that we believe took place for these reasons. So we want to be clear about that. Now, that being said, uh, on the screen, as I introduce each panelist, you're going to see on the screen a book recommendation or maybe a website or a hotline. Feel free to take a picture of the screen. We will have all of these resources on our website as well. But if you're looking for a good book, maybe you're struggling with some areas or you have friends or family that's struggling, these are specific uh, resources that each one of our panelists have provided. So first, I'm going to start with Shawnee Bell. And I'm going to ask you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your expertise and your field that you work in. Okay. My name is Shawnee Bell, and I am an art therapist, a registered art therapist, and a licensed professional counselor. So I've done um, some work with children. I started off working with children at a child advocacy center, working with children who've been abused, also with veterans and um, cancer patients and survivors. Um, right now, I work at the Anxiety Center of Houston, working with adult individuals. So that's my story. Oh, and I guess I should also say art therapy is what I started off doing and um, I still do. And I do it because I recognize the impact that art making in the creative process can have on helping us to organize our thoughts and beliefs and to gain insight. So, so great. Next, Pastor G. Great. Um, G here, serving as executive pastor here at the City Life Church. Uh, got my Bachelor of Education, I mean, uh, Art in Psychology uh, at University of Houston. Uh, got my seminary degree from Liberty, uh, but the, the start of my journey of understanding psychology started way, uh, way, way long time ago. And um, it actually continued when I was in seminary. Uh, I wanted to know how we can better approach uh, member care, how do we approach uh, with the gospel? That's kind of how everything got, kind of got started that way. And uh, it's like ongoing learning as far as the process of how to uh, understand how human brain and, and, and how we think uh, actually affects our actions and whatnot. And it has a great impact on that. So I have a passion for uh, a specific area is men, uh, uh, male depression, uh, which is rarely reported, but I'll talk a little bit about it later. But that's how I got started with that. Great. And the doc. 
That's what I call you. Hi, I'm uh, Patrick Thomas. Uh, what friends and family also call me PJ. Um, and so I am a, a psychiatrist uh, in private practice, as well as I have a, a part-time faculty appointment at Baylor College of Medicine. Uh, so uh, psychiatrist, what does that mean? I uh, have an MD, um, and unrelated to that, I also um, have a PhD in molecular biology and did research on neurodegeneration, but ultimately uh, chose to engage in psychiatry because of the interplex between uh, mind and body and, and engaging with that with, uh, with people. And um, one of my um, uh, particular interests is uh, the treatment of substance abuse. Uh, and I have an additional uh, board certification in that. And uh, to that end, um, this book that's up there, Breathing Underwater, is one of my favorites that talks about a 12-step, which is a pure recovery model for substance abuse, but through the lens of the gospel. So great. Yeah, thankful to have our panelists today. Um, we're going to start back with Shawnee and just tell us a little bit um, before we dive into the questions. So give you guys time to like or ask questions, but tell us a little bit, as you know, about um, maybe your soapbox or what you would want to tell the church or a, or a believer from your passion and what you've seen um, specifically involving mental health. So the resources that you saw on my page earlier had to do with mindfulness and self-compassion. And that's primarily what I work with people on because often the inner dialogue that people have um, is very negative and it's, um, it's kind of a, sometimes abusive. And so I really work with people to help them understand how to speak to themselves the way that God would speak to you, right? Um, to have the same kind of compassion for yourself and the love for yourself that God has for you. Um, and so really we have to retrain our brains to do that because sometimes we come from spaces where we're, um, we're thinking about or t internalizing the voices of other people who have been very negative towards us and we have to undo those things and we have to um, take on the voice and mimic the voice of God in our own lives, so. That's great, great. What about you, Patrick? Um, so in, in the work that uh, I do, um, while there can be a therapy component to a large part is uh, you know, evaluation, diagnosis of mental health, and uh, as a part of the treatment of that, sometimes that's uh, therapy and sometimes that's uh, medication. And you know, at times you know, with people, whether they come from a Christian background or, or not, the idea of uh, medication or other biological interventions of which there are, uh, bringing that to bear in uh, in the example of mental health diagnoses, you know, they're either it's, well, okay, this is gonna change and solve everything, or, you know, this is uh, the devil, is, uh, or that it's, um, you know, akin to witchcraft, because, you know, there's a, a word in Greek called, you know, uh, psychopharmakia, which is the Greek translation of witchcraft, and it's like, oh, that's too close to psychopharmaceutics, and I don't wanna go there. But um, I think that the, uh, the understanding that uh, there's, different types, you know, for example, in depression, different types of depression, and some, you know, will respond more to therapy, and some, depending on where you are, may respond more to medications, and, and it's not that they will change who you are, but allow you to function more in, in the realm of, of, of normal range of, of, of human functioning, and that they are a medium through which um, you, you can, you know, exercise faith, or that faith uh, works, so um, I think that's important to understand. So great, so great. And then, Pastor G? Yeah, so for me, I think as, as a Christian, how do we deal with mental health? 
Um, there is a stigma of a mental health in general, how we view mental health. Not everyone in this room, I would say, have a, have a healthy view of a mental health in general, and here's why. Uh, there was a study done uh, on, among the college students' age. Uh, it's called roommate study. And, and what this roommate study actually done is they actually asked the, uh, the each of a, a male, male and male and female, and they actually asked the roommate to ask the roommate about their mental health and how it is well received. Study has found that when it comes to females, it is received with the open arms, uh, what can I do, very empathetic, helpful. When it comes to men, complete opposite. Stigma of what's wrong with you, right? You're weak, this toxic masculinity that's been implanted in our, even our culture have led to completely rejecting somebody's hurt just because there's so much of stigma that says you just need to get over it because you're men. And so no wonder there is a huge number of difference between male suicide rate versus female. Male suicide rate right now is three to four times higher than female. And an individual will not just commit suicide instantly. I believe that it actually leads from somewhere. And a lot of scientists actually believe, psychologists or studies have indicated that it starts with a form of depression. And, and, and after a while, that depression actually leads on to uh, the suicide and whatnot. So we have to change the stigma and how we view, especially in the church also, like we have seen uh, the churches or some certain denominations that will say, well, you just need to have more faith. I'm pretty sure you probably heard this statement before, as if somehow having more faith has to do with something that is happening in your brain the chemical imbalance and different nature, whatever you're going through, trauma, different things. So I think it is good that we are discussing this issue at the church where we can actually open up and say, it is okay for us to talk about it and we can navigate together, so. So good, so good. Well, let's get to some questions and at the end we'll supply you some resources for um, not only for their study, but for help um, services, some even free, we will make sure, and they will be on our website as well, um, because we want to be as helpful and practical as possible. Let's look at the first one. Many of you have clicked and like um, this first question, and we hit this first service as well. But this question, I believe in Jesus and therapy, but how do you discern when it's a mental health issue versus a spiritual health issue? Your thoughts. Okay, I'll go first. Go again. <laughs> um, what I was saying was that sometimes we spend too much time trying to differentiate between things that we don't need to really spend that much time differentiating between because we are whole people. Um, when we say spiritual health, we're usually talking about our sense of ourselves, our way of connecting with others and with the you know existence at large. Um, and that is affected by and affects also our mental health, which is typically like our behavioral patterns, our thought patterns, um, how we engage and interact with others. So um, it's important to kind of recognize that there are many ways to approach an, an issue and there are many factors that impact an issue that you might be having and to be holistic with yourself when you're approaching that, right? Like PJ was saying, if there's medication, 
take the medication if that's the most helpful thing. And also um, investigate your thinking patterns, investigate your history, process your trauma, and get outside and get sunshine, and do all of the things that are necessary to help you improve your well-being. They're all, all intertwined. So good. Yeah, and uh, I think the other thing that we had touched on in uh, the first service is that it, it is a uh, both-and thing, and Pastor in uh, his sermon uh, previously had talked about, you know, the idea of different types of uh, depression. There's uh, depression that, you know, where, you know, it's, you know, really locked in. Someone's not eating, not sleeping, they're, uh, and, and there's that part. And then there's, you know, depression that comes from different sources. Say that, you know, maybe someone is, you know, in, you know they're going to work and they're doing things, but they're not present. They're, they're, everything has lost its taste and color. And maybe there's a lost sense of meaning and purpose. Now, that type of depression can go on to become the other type of depression. But if someone was in that depression, you might not necessarily recommend a medication you, if it was something that was spiritual, that was a sense of meaning or purpose or feeling that God was far from them that you know, that's the point where you might intervene uh, with something around a spiritual counseling or at least reflectiveness uh, about it. Now, it's not to say that that may not be needed for someone who's in the other part of, of, of uh, depression, certainly. You know, and I said at first uh, uh, service, you know, we need you know, all Jesus all the time, certainly. But in terms of how you might uh, intervene, it's important to understand that both uh, both, both processes, you know, spiritual health and spiritual hygiene, as well as mental health and mental hygiene, have an interplay. So great. Anything else? Yeah, I think we talk about this quite a bit in just the holistic self. Um, I, I think to compartmentalize yourself, there's times when you need to do that, maybe a certain trauma and things like that. But for the most part, the scripture would say your spirit, soul, and body, and we want to look at the holistic self. And I think one of the reasons why sometimes we differentiate that is because the church doesn't talk about it or will stigmatize it. And so then we think, well, I'm either praying or I'm either taking medicine or I'm either going to church in a community or I'm going to a, a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist. And why not do both? Why not do both and? And that's, that's why we want to continue to encourage, not stigmatize one or the other, uh, but encourage the holistic person. So what about this question? Here's one. Is it unwise to have a therapist that is not a Christian? Okay. As a therapist, um, I would say that is a personal choice that needs to take into account several factors, right? That it's not just a... Um, an absolute answer. And what I mean by that is that if you are, for example, having issues functioning, you have a very immediate issue, or um, there's something that, an approach that a therapist can offer you that doesn't necessarily have to do with their worldview, um, that they can offer you that helps you function better, right? Um, and they're skilled at it, then it's um, wise to allow them to do that. And what I mean by that, as an example, like for, uh, for an example, there's a specific, a specific approach called EMDR, and that helps people who have experienced trauma, who are having trouble regulating themselves emotionally because they keep re-experiencing or they keep taking themselves back to that trauma. There are specific steps in place in the EMDR process that can help a person function better. And so if that's the case, that's helpful. That's helpful for you. And it doesn't really, 
It's not based on whether or not that person has the same belief as you. If there's a spiritual issue, as far as, um, you know, like we were talking about before, your sense of self, it's important that at least the person that you are seeing has respect for, which is our ethical obligation as therapists, they, they have this respect for your worldview and that they're able to support you in it. Ideally, I would think that if you're dealing with a spiritual issue or a sense of self issue, um, that you would allow somebody who is uh, knowledgeable about that and who maybe even comes from that same real worldview, wherein they can not only just respect you in it, but also speak into that and help you, you know, find grounding there, find grounding there. So great. Yeah, and I think what I said earlier um, in the first service is, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, when, say if you're choosing, you, know, you want to be mindful uh, of that, but that said, you know, if there is a tool that uh, will help you, I think it's important to recognize that in and of itself. You know, the, the edge of a knife in a surgeon's hand can be used to heal, and then a warrior's hand can be used to destroy, but it's about the meaning, you know, an intention behind that. And there is a type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy that's based on Eastern uh, um, uh, principles, but, um, you know, a lot of those overlap with, um, you know, with you know, verses in the Bible about whatever's good, whatever's lovely, meditate on those things. And for using it for emotion regulation and interpersonal effectiveness, you know, it can still be helpful no matter your, your theological uh, background. So I think the long and short of it is to be mindful of it, and, and that, and, but still you may get benefit. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I think uh, there's a whole field of Christian counseling and Christian therapy. Uh, that's based out of seminaries in different places and whatnot. So there's a whole discipline out there uh, that train uh, therapists and psychiatry uh, to understand through the biblical lens, biblical worldview. And so there's another field. I guess the question will, the answer will be for me personally, it wouldn't hurt, uh, but I don't think it's not based on you have to be a Christian. Uh, you, you have to go to Christian therapists because you're a Christian. I, no, I, I, think, I, I think the person, what person can provide uh, not only their faith, but also what they can actually help, what kind of processes, what kind of experience they actually have in that field to help you uh, to navigate mental health. So. Yeah, good. Uh, my really close and good friend, C.S. Lewis, once said, um, Christians often think in terms of good or bad, and we need to be thinking in terms of also good, better, best. Um, because there is sometimes a spectrum, and so the idea, I do like the words, is it unwise, um, not wrong, not bad, but unwise to have a therapist that is an, a not Christian. I think all of us on here are saying it depends, and it depends what field you're looking into, um, because every, there are a lot of different philosophies and things uh, around that, but there are also therapists, they have specific codes of conduct, they have to uphold your worldview. So. I, I, I would like it in this way. It, it does depend on where you are. And if someone dropped right now and had a heart attack, we wouldn't take them to the hospital and say, hey, bro, are you a Christian? Because don't, don't, don't operate um, unless you're a Christian. Like, w the better question is, um, is it unwise to not find the best person you can find? Uh, you want the best person in their field, in their category. And I would even say, if you're a Christian, um, and you're in community and you're doing it right, you should be able to differ differentiate what is a part of your worldview and what's not. 
That's why as we, we are not Christians by just name, but in our thought process, in our discipleship process. So think well and be able to divide that and not just throw people in categories because at the end of the day, I think it's Charles Spurgeon who said, all truth is God's truth. Um, and so the truth is truth. So we want to be able to extrapolate that from a lot of different arenas. So um, let's look at the next one. What's the best way to support a spouse or close loved one who is dealing with mental health? How would you recommend they support that spouse? I'll just to switch it up, I'll start. Um, uh, you know, I think, and this is whether you're supporting, you know, a significant other or a loved one with mental health or physical health or any challenge, you know, is basic principles of support, which are being non-judgmental, open, and flexible. Um, you know, certainly there's flexibility to the point of boundaries, but if you're engaging with someone who is expressing, uh, you know, distress uh, from a mental health origin or otherwise, you know, to be not judging, saying, you know, well, just get better, or, you know, well, why didn't you do this? But, but to listen, to, to empathize with that, offer support, and, and be mindful of if they're not getting their own support, you know, ways that you can help uh, provide resources for them. So I'd say those basic things to start, but I imagine there's other things. No, I, I agree with all of those things. Um, I think that um, when we're talking about that, we're also talking about allowing yourself to recognize that that person is already struggling and that internally they're probably being much harsher to themselves more than likely um, than, than anything. And so you need to be the person that doesn't add to their struggle, right? So allow yourself to be compassionate towards that person in the way that you would need. Um, so I just, I guess I echo everything that PJ was saying and that you're wanting to be mindful and you're wanting to be um, compassionate towards that person. And also on the other side of that too, you don't want to enable the person. And what I mean by that is we are all humans with agency. And so what can also be problematic is that we take on the responsibility for making another person better, and that's not our role. We need to empower them to make healthy choices and empower them to support themselves and to get help. Because otherwise, what you do is teach them that they don't have power all the more when you don't do that. I think uh, Pastor Chris always said this, right? We memorize it just by night, if you don't know. A communication is a foundation to every relationship. Um, we're talking about marriage, spouse, recognizing the mental health issues. A question I think I want to raise is, how do you know? How do you know if your spouse are suffering or going through the mental health? It's a difficult thing to do, right? And so the book that I, one of the books that I recommend, uh, the book, the title is called, I Don't Want to Talk About It. It's uh, actually dealing with the male, uh, uh, the depression uh, and whatnot. And there's a lot of different story. There's examples, this you know, professional psychiatrist that actually wrote, obviously they changed the name and everything for the you know, confidentiality, but it actually gives an example. Uh, there's one story of a couple, uh, wonderful family from outside in, looking in, perfect family, children, everything looks good. But 30 years married, 
Wife comes in and says, I can't deal with this anymore. We're finished. So, begins the journey of them going into the psychiatry or the counselor and discovering the male has been suffering depression for a very, very long time. And then the book actually talks about the covert depression. We use this thing to hide our depression in some form or whatnot. And so final straw is kind of like the acting out, individuals acting out from they cannot handle all that pressure any longer. They've been uh, using different elements to hide those depression. For example, like use of alcohol, uh, drugs, and different things to suppress their desires. But ultimately, there is a point, what he has found is that it actually runs out. Alcohol doesn't work anymore. Drug doesn't work anymore. And so now this person is going through a severe uh, experience of a depression and the spouse is laughing, what is wrong with you? The question that we need to ask is instead of what's wrong with you, what's, what's the matter with you? But the question should be, is everything okay? Empathy, providing that empathy. I know that's probably hard for, especially in the marriage, when there's a fire, you know, the fire just, you know, the things are being said and people are getting feelings hurt. But to be able to un take a step back and say, is everything okay? To be able to better assess and seek help. Maybe there's something that you cannot do, but you need to bring another person in. And in a Christian environment, it's perfect because you have pastors that can come in and to intervene and say, maybe there's something there that we need to seek professional help with. And so one way for a spouse to actually help the one who is actually suffering is to get outside the help. Don't try to do this alone, especially if you're in the faith community. Community is here for you too, okay? So ask for help. I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit more too. So like when you're thinking of your spouse and you, even, even you, uh, Patrick, you mentioned um, boundaries. What would you recommend as some healthy boundaries for the person that's struggling with mental health and then for the person that's not? What is a healthy, what are some healthy boundaries look like? What do you think? No pressure, ready to go. I'm, I'm gonna steal a little bit of what uh, Shani was talking about in first uh, service. So, you know, <laughs> then you can just be left over with it. You gave her no, props. I, I won't steal it off. You gave her props. Um, so, you know, often you will have a dynamic, and this is in all types of relationships, where one partner will over-function for the other, and the other learns to under-function, so taking on more responsibility or, or more uh, activities, and that can include responsibilities or feeling responsible for that other person's feelings and functionings when, you know, while you're responsible for how you behave towards your significant other and your spouse, uh, but responsible for their emotions and their reactions and, and, and that part of their well-being that is under their control is important to understand what is yours to hold and what is yours to release. Uh, and having that conversation, because both partners can be deluded about actually what is theirs and under their control to control and what is not. You know, if I'll give a, a somewhat hyperbolic example. Um, you know, you'll have a partner who, where someone is getting to the point where their coping is taking the form of 
of, of substance abuse and, and maybe there's abuse in other ways. You know, one partner is not responsible for whether their partner drinks or not or uses a substance or not. You are responsible for your boundary of what you will allow in your house with love because you know, the, the, the word teaches us that you know, the, Jesus was full of grace and truth. So grace is about compassion, but uh, with too much of that, you know, there's not a boundary in, or there's no truth, and truth that without grace is too harsh, and you need both in your relationship and your walk and also in your other relationships, so. Since he stole most of my answer, <laughs> I'll just add to it and just like emphasize the compassionate part because it's not about you saying, "Well, that's your problem. That's not me." It's really, it really is about um, recognizing that other person's capacity and power to to get better and to seek supports and to do the work that they need to do on themselves, and that you are there as part of that community as a resource to them to kind of like help them up, but you're not going to pick them up. That can't be your role. That's actually logistically outside of your power, and it's important to recognize that because otherwise you get into spaces of guilt and um, all of those other destructive things that become a part of a any relationship where also, when I mean by enabling, like I was saying earlier, is that that partner might think that you are responsible for making them better, and that's very problematic. Right, that's very problematic. And as well as you taking on that responsibility of thinking it's your, ideally what we're doing is we are both sitting in our own agency as human beings and allowing ourselves to be supports and not um, controllers of other people. Yeah, so, so what I'm hearing, and, and I've heard people say that the root of anger is unmet expectations. So if we don't communicate proper expectations and those boundaries. And sometimes you have to literally get a piece of paper out to get on the same page. Say, this is where I am, this is truth, this is grace, and to communicate that effectively and hold on to it, it's gonna be hard to continue to move forward because those, it's an expectation problem at that point right. as well, right? So communicating boundaries. Yeah, and I think just across the board in any relationship, it's important to start with the understanding that in any, with any person, my responsibility are my emotions and my behaviors, my responses. That's always my responsibility. It's never another person, and likewise, the other person is always responsible for their behaviors and their emotions and managing themselves. Great. And, and I think a lot of times in marriage, we see this pattern constantly where maybe doing better and then not doing, and we just kind of get in the same pattern. And I, I read recently in a book, it said that, um, uh, we don't, we don't, uh, experience doesn't change us. Or, you know, everybody says that, you know, the more you experience, the more you, you'll change or you're, you're adapt and you'll learn from your experiences. But scripture actually says as a dog re returns to his vomit, so does a man or a woman return to their sins. So we actually don't learn from our experiences. And the author said, we learn from our evaluated experiences when you actually do the work of thinking about it, communicating with a therapist or with somebody, those that you've evaluated, and then you get to the core of it and you start to root out that experience. And I thought that was really, really helpful. Um, so a, a good plug to meet with somebody, talk with somebody, and to in, in, involve community in your life. Um, we have one that's risen to the top. How do you work through mental health while in college? specifically what do you think 
So this is something that I'm, I'm mindful of because the ages of 18 to 30 is actually a really um, kind of crux developmental time, not only spiritually, which is why ENC and campus ministry is so important, but also from you know, a stance of, of, of mental health in terms of you know, major diagnoses. You know, a lot of them happen during this age, not only because, say, because of um, you know, uh, biological say, or genetic risk factors may show up at that time, but also you have a cross cut of increased responsibility, uh, you know, increased um, uh, you know, range to do with what you will, and maybe less support because you're, you're, you're starting to be on your own and be responsible for your own things uh, at the same time. So, you know, mounting responsibilities and tasks and, and less support uh, correlating with a time when if you're gonna have mental health problems, they, they like likely will arise during this time, uh, can be very uh, important to, to be mindful of that, not only in you uh, and others. So while dealing with it uh, in college, uh, especially if you are the, family members around you are noticing it first is um, to, to actually not be too proud, you know, to say, hey, you know, I need help. You know, there's not a stigma around it. This is something that is not only common in this age, but, you know, there's these, um, they're called ecological catchment assessments that happen periodically. And for adults, one in five people will meet a criteria for a mental illness at some point in their life, you know, period. So. Um, you know, on college campuses, there are certainly, um, you know, there's, there are folks who, um, you know, uh, counselors there, you know, there are a lot of times people are still on their yeah. parents' insurance finding uh, people in that sense. And knowing when those challenges are, are, are too much, where you may have to, to pull back and take time in order to engage in treatment to allow you to, to function um, more effectively going forward. So I may have been rambling a bit, but I mean, there's a lot to think about in that. Yeah. So good. We, we've got our music behind us now, so it's super annoying. No, keep going. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, normalizing it is a really big deal. I think sometimes we don't say when we need help. And if you know things like that, that many people struggle at that period and that you're not alone. They can help you um, seek the help that you need and the resources that are right there on campus are already provided for you. I think most campuses have those types of resources. Definitely, definitely use them, seek them out. Importance of community, seeking help, reaching out, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to share your struggles whatever it may be. Um, to be able to be vulnerable is a strength and not a weakness. Yeah. I think a lot of time we see that as a weakness in this world. And I think that's not right. For you to express what you're going through right now in this stage, it's one of the finest character you can actually owe. To be owning up to where you are, wow, that's really great. So seek help, reach out to someone. It doesn't matter who, just seek out, right? Don't try to be yourself uh, in those moments when you are dealing with different thoughts, visual, like visual things and the feelings that are really destructive in a way. And when you have those moments, surround yourself with a community, especially, you know, what is so blessing about the church community is 
Christianity was never meant to be done alone. Community, you are not alone. So much so, our gracious Lord says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you someone. What a loving God. You're not alone. Spirit, Holy Spirit is with you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will not judge you, but will accept you and to help you and navigate this important thing called life. So. Yeah, I think sometimes there's a misnomer as a Christian, or maybe you come into a church, and even, you know, we start, we have worship and praise, and you see people raising their hands, or you see people, like, so you must think, man, they're killing it in life, like, they're great, everything's awesome. Sometimes those people that are doing that, again, they're crying out to God because they know, apart from Him, they can do nothing. They need Him. And we don't, we don't become Christians, and then all of a sudden, we're just this beautiful butterfly, right? And everything's great, and everything's perfect. And if that's the expectation, what do you think the gospel is? It's for broken people, and God is mending us. It's a process. There's some things he does in a moment, boom, he can do in a moment. But a lot of it is the sanctification. He is making us holy. And he does that when we get real with where we are and we allow him to allow others to help us. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I'm struggling with somebody and I meet someone else that's struggling with that same thing. And it brings me encouragement because I'm like, first of all, I'm not alone. Second of all, we can now talk through, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? And maybe something they know that I didn't know because they're in it too, that, man, I haven't done that or tried that. And within that community, not because we're trying to one-up each other and better one another, but because even in our brokenness, we say, I, I need help and you are in my life to help me as well. But that makes me, I I've seen more um, victory in my life by helping someone else with their problems than by just being in my problem and seeking it out alone. Something amazing happens in your life. As you're able to help others, God helps you as well and refreshes you in that. That's the community we're talking about and want to encourage you to get into. Can we thank our amazing panelists for today? And we know there's a lot of questions. Maybe you're frustrated. I wanted, you know, I wanted an answer to my question. I want to invite you this Friday. We have our wrap sessions again. We'll have round tables in this room. Fill this room with people to be able to dialogue, talk through mental health, talk through some of these kind of things. And in three week, two weeks from this Friday, we'll have another one on sexuality. We're going to be doing this to have dialogue, and it's a safe place for dialogue. Um, we're not going to reprimand you or rebuke you. It's not, we're not going to turn into a yelling fest. We want to learn how to dialogue well and love each other well. And so we'd love for you to come, be able to talk through some of these things in community. Uh, as we're preaching it, we also offer it. So.